Hello, I'm Colette Funches, and welcome to another episode of Voices from the Valley. Today, our guest is Reverend Earlene Coleman, and she has been a pastor at the Bethlehem Baptist Church for the past 20 years. BBC, which is currently located at 716 Walnut Street in McKeesport, was birthed in 1889 in the home of James and Dolly Dickerson, who met with a few men and women in the community to discuss the establishment of a Baptist church in McKeesport. By October, 15 members under Reverend Thomas Ford began services in the Dickerson's home in the Christie Park area for many years. The first site for the church was at 14th and Walnut Street. Today, the church is located in a lovely modern brick structure located in McKeesport. BBC has certainly come a long way since then, and today it is under the direction of Reverend Earlene Coleman. Reverend, we'd like to welcome you to our program this morning. Thank you so much, Colette. Thank you. We're so glad to have you. When did you join the church? I was raised in the church. I was baptized here and uh, Sunday school and all the rest right here at Bethlehem Baptist Church. You said that you received the call to become the new pastor on April 12, 2003. What was that day like for you? That was an awesome day. I had uh, had my interview and all of those things that needed to go forth. And I got up that morning, which was a Saturday morning, and they were having church meeting. I had been invited to be a part of a breakfast that was at St. John's Baptist Church in Wilmerdine. So as I got up and I got dressed, my husband asked me, he said, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to a breakfast in Wilmerdine. I told you. And he said, well, you're not going by the church? I said, no. He said, to vote for yourself. And I said, no. I said, God told me he would vote for me. And so then I went over to uh, Wilmerdine to the breakfast. And then when they had the meeting here, the trustee that was here that day and another member of the church got in their car and wrote the number down. And I had asked God, I said, God, please don't let me win by one vote. I can't live with that. And they wrote down what it was like and they drove over and asked the ushers to please give me that piece of paper. And they gave me the paper and it was 90 to 33. And I said, thank you, God. I understand that you are the longest tenured pastor in the church's 130-year history? Yes, I am. What kind of ministries do you have at Bethlehem Baptist Church? We have women's Bible study and women's ministry. We have men's Bible study. We have, of course, Sunday school. We have the uh, youth church. We have a mime ministry. We have a um, children's choir. We also have our adult choir. We also have our praise and worship team. We have missionaries, the missionary ministry where they do different ministries, home ministry, but we also have foreign ministry where um, they haven't gone out in a couple of years, but they did go to Haiti. This year, it looks as though some of them will be going to Africa um, for the foreign mission. We have the liturgical dance ministry. We also have evangelism ministry. So we, we have several. I've probably forgotten some, and if they're listening, they'll say, Pastor, didn't, didn't call us, because <laughs> we do have a lot. When I came to Bethlehem Baptist, when I accepted to be the pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church, God spoke to me clearly and said, because there were, weren't a lot of uh, members, but that happens when there isn't a pastor, and it goes over a little time. And so God spoke to me out of the movie Field of Dreams mm-hmm. and said, build it, and they will come. 
You know, some of the people looked at me a little crazy when we were putting all these ministries together and there was no one here. But God said, build it and they will come. I love that saying. Mm-hmm. And I've heard it. It's mm-hmm. true. And it is true. And, and sometimes that's how, and especially within the church, the faith organization, that if you wait until people come and then try to start something, yeah. then it looks as though you really don't know the direction that you're going in. Mm-hmm. So have it there. And then when they come, you know, they can step into that and they begin to get strengthened and encouraged. I understand. I said also that you've traveled extensively under the Pastoral Excellence Program. That was a program that was run by the the Lot Carry Foreign Mission. Tell us about that. That was um, uh, wonderful and amazing. That was my third year in pastoring here. And really, you had to have um, five years to even be considered. But the executive secretary that was there at the time decided that um, he wanted to see if I would be able to do the program. So he called and said for me to write an essay. It was myself and another pastor that was from New York gave us the opportunity, even though we didn't have the five years. And so we each had to write an essay and we got accepted and got accepted into the program. And so then that program lasted for four years. We traveled together with 24 pastors and we traveled together to Jamaica, West Indies. We went to Africa Uh, We were supposed to go to Zimbabwe, but we ended up going to Johannesburg because that was the time when there was a lot of civil unrest. We also went to Guyana, South America, which was a wonderful experience for me to see the Amerindians. They're the Indians that had moved to that area when they left here. And so they would come to the Bible study with their children, so ended up being able to teach Bible study to them and talk to them. And we had a revival and uh, that was it was wonderful. My very first night of the revival, I'm sitting and I'm looking out. And when I'm looking out, because the church was cement block, but there were no windows and there were no doors. So in comes a bat oh. flying. And the bat's flying around where the people are sitting. I'm saying to myself, when I get up to preach, he's going to come up here. <laughs> and so I picked my Bible up and I said, well, you can't hit a moving target. So I said, I'm going to walk and preach. So um, I did. And uh, because sure enough, as soon as I got up and stood up, he came up to the pulpit. He flew up there. (laughs) So then the the pastor, she said to me afterwards, she said, well, you did good. I said, oh, yeah. I said, with the bat up there. She said, yeah, and with the big bugs on your back. I'm like. (laughs) (laughs) So at the end, I told them, everyone, I said, please bring a friend because we were having the Bible, having the revival the next night, 16 days. 16 days in each country. When I told everyone to bring a guest with them, this is the truth. The next night there were two bats. And I said, I did not tell you to bring a friend. (laughs) And then when we went to Jamaica, West Indies, and we got an opportunity to serve at the um, senior citizen home. Mm -hmm. And we went into the room and her name Her name was Louise, an elderly lady, and we were going to serve lunch to everybody. And when we went in her room, she was blind. And she said, I bet you're going to feel sorry for Louise. She said, but don't. She said, because I'm fine. She said, I live a wonderful life. And she said she stayed there for a while. Now, this was a place that it was wooden, and you could see through the walls because there were places where the wood was missing, and it just wasn't that great. Mm -hmm. But to her, it was wonderful. And she was saying to us, don't feel sorry for her. And she stayed there. So all of all of the trips brought me to a place of realizing, and, and really the theme was to disorientate and then reorientate us as pastors. And I was disorientated, and they had to reorientate me to be able to see the joy and the happiness 
that they had, the one mother who had a, a son who was bit by a snake, and she gave her story in, our, in the Bible study, and she's sitting there, and she said, you know, you have a hospital, you have a car, and you have medicine. She said, but when my son was bit by that snake, I had nothing else. Mm-hmm. But the other women, we sat in the middle of the road and prayed for him, and she pointed in the corner, and she said, and there he is. What would you say makes your church unique from other churches in McKeesport? Because of the young adults that we do have that are are here, because of the cross-section of people that we have here, we have Justice Cynthia Baldwin and her husband who are members here. We have police officer that's a member here. But we also have people who are former drug addicts. We have people who have been in prison, in jail. We also have our musician who is a guard from the jail. Um, So ends up knowing some of the people when they come and he's able to deal with them and talk to them. So because of the the great cross section of people, we are not just one color. You know, we have those that are Caucasian and those that are black, but are members of the church and everyone feels very comfortable here because we don't look at anybody that way. We also have people that are of, of other ethnic groups. You know, they're not, everyone is not all from the United States. And we're all here. So I believe that that's what makes us so unique is because of the cross-section of people and cultures that we have. Do you also have a, not exactly what what we call an open-door policy, but if someone wants to stop by, they can just ring the doorbell? Oh, yes, anytime, anytime. They come off and, and ring the doorbell for us to try to assist. And we try to make sure that we keep up with the uh, resources that are around because if we don't have it you know we try very hard to um, be able to direct people to the place a member here he works at the former y and so then he helps out if we have someone that needs a place to stay we can send them to him we tell them go see franklin now franklin used to be a drug addict who you might have found Franklin standing out there in the middle of the street and to the point the, the police would say, oh, that's just Franklin, and drive away. Franklin is now working down at the Y and helping others to be able to find a place to stay oh, and to, find, um, um, to help them find their way to a better life. I understand that you gave the invocation for Lieutenant Governor Austin Davis this week. Can you tell us about that? That was a very awesome and humbling experience. And I believe that it touched me so deep because I've always known Austin and his family. His grandmother and I were friends. We grew up together. And so it made it a, a little closer. But just the, the, um, the thought that this is the place that we should make sure we remember that we put the right people in into those positions to make sure that they do the the job that we're calling them or asking them to do. And then in my prayer, I also prayed that they would remember the people that they were voted for, that voted for them, who struggled to make ends meet from day to day. Reverend, as a senior pastor, what would you say is the church's role in the McKeesport area? The church's role is to do as God spoke to me. And God said, the Holy Spirit told me, that the people do not live inside of the four walls. They live in the community. If my life is not in turmoil and chaos outside, I'm not going to really hear when I come in because I'm still going to be struggling. So the church has to be that hand 
that's trying to help them give a, have a better life in the community. So we cannot come in here and just on Sundays have service and just go back out. So when I was called to be pastor, there was an, another preacher that I knew that was able to get information about the communities and, and the, the geography of where you're going to be. So I gave him the zip code of where I was going to be and asked him if he could please get that information for me. So it told the information said who graduated from college, who graduated from high school, how many single mothers there were, how many children there were, where they were going to school. So I got all of that information and realizing that God had me get that information because he was going to tell me, build it and they will come. Because the, those that were in the community build the things that they need so that they can come and find some kind of help in their struggle. At what age did you decide that you wanted to go into the ministry? I never did. You never did decide? No. For one year, God woke me up at 3.33 every night until finally I said, whatever you want, <laughs> just tell me so I can get a, a whole night's sleep. And then I heard God say that he was calling me into the ministry. And I said, I must have been listening on a party line because he was talking to somebody else. It couldn't be. <laughs> the very next day after I heard God say that, Reverend Bernie, we were here at the church, and Reverend Bernie looked at me and he said, Hi, Evangelist, how are you? And I said, Who told you that? Don't say that. <laughs> he said, I'm sorry, I was just joking. You know, but um, that's where it started. I never sought to be a preacher. I never moved to be a pastor. None of that. That, that was not, I never saw that. Because I was one that if I thought you were going to ask me to get up in front of people and say anything, I would stay home. A true miracle. All God. True miracle. All God. And it is a process of unifying. And I believe that that's part of Bethlehem. God spoke to me um, also when I started as the pastor out of Isaiah 58. And he said that he's calling me to be a repairer of the breach and the paths to dwell in. So it's to bring people together. So I have preached at and about to preach at St. Stephen's on April 29th. I've preached in the evangelical church over there across the street. I have preached at the Presbyterian church that's now Judah Ministries down here on the corner. I have preached up at St. Mary's, Chechehoas. <laughs> so it's been, and it, it's, it's only been God. Because they would come to me and say that someone mentioned that the pastor was going away. Could I come and preach? The church across the street is an evangelical church. So they had me, when they didn't have a pastor, they changed the time of their service to 10 o'clock. So I could still preach at their church and then come over here and preach at 11. When they installed me as pastor, they locked the door of their church and did a march across the street and came to sit over here while they were installing me as pastor. Well, I must say, I do believe that McKeesport has a good future in your hands. You have so many good programs, so I really hope that more, uh, more and more people will come to the programs that you have and become members of your church. Mm -hmm. You certainly have a very vibrant, alive church, and, and uh, congratulations on that. Thank I think you. it's wonderful. And this is our last question. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Say that I pray that we can all play a great part in uh, ending this violence when it has come to the place where there are um, two 13-year-olds playing a video game and one shoots the other one. I don't know how a six-year-old 
can be angry enough that you would shoot your teacher because six-year-olds usually are still playing with toys and having a heart of just wanting to play with their friends. So it means that we've kind of dropped the ball. And I just wrote this as a, a comment on someone's page on Facebook this morning that we've, lost, we've dropped the ball and we've gone off track because we have forgotten the process that God has told us to use and the purpose that he told us to use it for. It's not to build up Bethlehem. It's to build up his kingdom. Certainly, church should be the answer to that, mm -hmm. because if we love our fellow man, there would be less violence. Amen. And so I want to ask you also, since you've lived here all your life and you've worked here, you began your career here, what is it about McKeesport that keeps you here? I have always loved McKeesport, and I kind of had to reflect myself as I got older. What was it about McKeesport? And when I say this, those that are new to McKeesport or, you know, um, um, are young would say, I don't understand. But they didn't see the McKeesport that I grew up in, the McKeesport where we cared for each other. We loved one another. We reached out to one another. Our parents set out on the stoop so that we could play hide and seek at night. Um, or they sat on the porch so that we would be able to stay out under the lights and didn't have to come in early, come home. Because we also, if you went to Kennywood Park, we were together, people from McKeesport, from our neighborhoods. We were in the, the um, pavilions together, and our parents had brought our baskets, and we still kind of ate in all of all of the togetherness and the love that has been in, in McKeesport, um, how we, we, we did not look at um, who we were or where we were from. When I grew up in the first ward, which doesn't even exist, you can't even find it, but in the first ward, we had Chinese, we had Italian, we had German, all of them. We were all together, and nobody knew until we started to get older. One of the young ladies that her family was German, I didn't realize that until I was working at the school district. It was her uncle that lived in the first ward that I found out by us talking, but not knowing that because it didn't matter. It didn't matter. We were just those that loved each other. Then when we moved up here, not far from the church, just a couple of blocks over, we moved here, and it was much the same way. I don't even remember us having a fight, the, the children. I don't remember that. We didn't because, it, you know, I grew up with the Odo family, the Borelli family, the Tedesco family. So those are the ones that I grew up with. When Mrs. Odo found out how much I love spaghetti, every time she made her sauce, which was made from scratch, she brought a pot over to our house so that I could have the spaghetti with the sauce that she had. Those things caused me to want to stay and to be here so much so that when my parents would go on vacation I wouldn't go I went to my grandma's my grandmother lived up on 11th street and I'd go up to her house and stay with her till they came back home I didn't want to go anywhere I did not want to leave McKeesport oh that is wonderful to hear truly well we wish you many more years of continued success Stay here in McKeesport and keep the rest of us here, too. <laughs> and so now I'd like to conclude our interview today to our audience and to thank you for joining us. And again, Reverend Earlene Coleman, thank you for being here today. We really enjoyed talking with you. And God bless. I just want to thank you for allowing me to, to have this experience, for even asking me and inviting me. It's been a wonderful experience. So thank you so much. And thank you again. And I'm Colette Punches with... Voices from the Valley. <laughs>